Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today's guest is coming from Canada. So I think, uh, Lonnie, you are the third Canadian on the podcast. But uh, welcome to the show, Lonnie Pilgrim. You are the Director of Buildings and Maintenance at Fort McMurray. Uh, Lonnie, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great, great to be here. Of course, I appreciate you making the time to uh, to connect. And uh, before we were recording, I was complaining about the cold here in Atlanta, and I just feel bad about doing that with uh, <laughs> my winter being nothing uh, anywhere close to what you're dealing with. Exactly. So, so no complaints coming in my direction. You have to talk yeah. to your neighbor. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I appreciate you making the time to, to come on here today. Uh, you went through uh, quite an experience during COVID uh, at the school district, but before we get into crisis management and what you did during that, um, that experience, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do? All right. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Lonnie Pilgrim. I am the director of uh, facilities, buildings, and maintenance in Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada, with the Fort McMurray Public School Division, which is the largest school division in our small Canadian city of about 80,000 people. So, How'd you get into facilities? Uh, my background from an educational standpoint was in uh, a main focus in recreation, recreation facilities and, and business. So I started in the world of recreation, programming, events, facility operations, parks, playgrounds, in a managerial uh, level. But my career sort of just started moving in the direction of mainly one aspect of that which was facility operations uh, building and maintenance and it just evolved into that where i've been fortunate enough to uh, become a director in uh, facilities and maintenance here in fort mcmurray got it and at the districts uh, you were actually featured in an article talking about an experience you had in the beginning of 2020 uh, which uh, was a tough year for everybody, but uh, throw this on top, and uh, I'm sure it made it that much more difficult. But um, what exactly happened at the district? And uh, I guess give us some background of uh, what you went through here. Yes, so um, we had a very significant uh, river flood here in the spring. Every year we have a river break up here in Fort McMurray that our river's completely frozen and then when the river breaks we're always at risk of overflow water depending on where it breaks and where it continues to be frozen. This year or the year of 2020 was a very unfortunate year because we did have uh we did have significant flooding in our downtown core, uh, which yeah, which was was very unfortunate, caused millions and millions of dollars in damage, and it heavily impacted uh, one of our schools. Most very unfortunate. 
if I if I read that correctly uh, at the article that you're featured in talking about this experience, uh, you had what eight inches of water uh, that you were having to deal with as you walked into the office. Not not as if we were very fortunate. My office is actually downtown as well, and this is literally we had the flood waters. 25 feet from our building. Our building became an island, so for a few days we couldn't access where the division office would be. But where the significant damage was, was at our downtown high school. We have one high school in our downtown core. It has three levels. The first level, which have our, which has our expensive gymnasium, of course, and gym floor, fitness center, and classrooms, and our, uh, and our CTS wing completely eight inches in water you need your no power we're, we're checking out the situation and we're in darkness and walking in water in our um, and recently modernized school let me say so this was a school oh gosh it was a 1960s school but two years prior to the flood flooding this particular school we just wrapped up a modernization and when I say modernization I certainly don't mean a paint job and changing out some furniture a 27 plus million dollar modernization <laughs> of the school oh my god of course of course it had to happen after that not you know the, the week before that project was gonna kick off it could have happened exactly. had to wait until uh, after you already had spent all that money there and mm-hmm. had a beautiful new facility uh, so uh, before the actual uh, reaction to this and the steps you took after this flood, I'm, I'm more curious on uh, the river actually flooding. So you mentioned that it's frozen over, it breaks up, and the breakup causes, I guess, water levels to rise. And was this just a, a year where it was going, it rose much more than expected? Was this an outlier year, once in a hundred type storm? Uh, I guess what were the circumstances there? Exactly. Now, I, I would not be the, let me just say on the record, I would not be the expert to describe, uh, you know, the set of circumstances that causes, but I will give you a, a uh, you know, the, be- the best description I can. We have intersecting rivers here. So here in Fort McMurray, we have numerous rivers that join in every year, you know, Spring comes, winter leaves us, the weather warms, the river breaks. You know, in June, we have boaters on the river, and in the wintertime, we have snowmobiles on the river. So the river breaks up, and uh, when it does, sometimes it stops in certain areas, and sometimes the break continues. For a different set of circumstances, beyond my knowledge base, for sure. It's not a facility that I need to manage. But, it's, <laughs> um, yeah, that's just what happens. It's a one-in-a-hundred-year flood, and it was quite significant. And you're talking Mother Nature and, and huge rivers that travels the, the distance of our of our province, which is, you know, if you look at a province in, in Canada, they're equivalent to five or six, seven smaller states that mm-hmm. river travels to there's really you are at you are at mother nature's they do what mother nature is going to do what they want mm-hmm. there was no significant giant amount of sandbags we could have put out there was no there is some infrastructure in place now that you can sort of blow up these giant sort of balloons sort of thing to help but there was nothing that we could have been doing there that would have stopped this river breakup. This is 
quite significant. Yeah. And it is a one-in-a-hundred-year flood. Our community now uh, has been very proactive since then, and they're actually in our downtown core. Um, they're building significant walls, like the higher than, you know, than the downtown core itself. So if this ever happens again, that barrier should keep things away and we should avoid a disaster of this nature that was very costly very hard on the community as well yep and and, you know that's one thing out of a disaster at least there's that silver lining where you learn from it and now you're taking measures to prevent it in the future so uh, there's a little silver lining there but uh, let's go back into you know april 2020 so you have this flooding you go to the the school where you've got eight inches of water there brand new facilities what did you do in the initial steps uh as you evaluated in the first steps you took to resolve uh said problem so Starting in, it was a challenge. You know, our schools are shut down. I think they probably would have been shut down in all of North America, maybe all of the world, of course, or significant amount. But operation and maintenance are still running. So we're going in these schools. You know, the first thing we're doing, I think, within the first few days, when we see water and we see power out, we know the damage is done. The brand-new gym floor that costs $300,000 has a... Uh, for lack of better description, a wave going up through the middle, about four foot high, and this is actually caused by the water. Where the water, so we know there's significant damage done. The first thing I'm doing is I am procurement is key. Procurement was key. We do know around that time it was the time that COVID had the purchasing world turned oh upside down. But we knew that was key. So key pieces from the start was, um, you know, reaching out and getting the right restoration company on board through the proper processes. So we're calling our insurance uh, claim. We're calling our insurance adjuster. We're getting a restoration company on board immediately. And we certainly want to get the right one on board. And then I'm looking at a significant purchases that would need to happen that would that would require uh, significant lead time. One that always comes to mind is I call uh, our our gym floor uh, company that supplies, installs, and 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 helps maintain for significant jobs. And I'm saying, where's the nearest gym floor? And we had to procure for a for a three to four hundred thousand gym floor right away. The flooring that mm. we needed wasn't even in North America. It was a COVID time. We knew supply chain was completely in a mess. So that was the first two things come to mind. You know, insurance adjuster, obviously, of course, we need to get a restoration company here with us right away. And I need to start looking at long lead items to get moving on that right away. Then, of course, you have your human resource you know, it's COVID, it's masking, it's distancing, it's, you know, so that was a that was a, a significant piece that stayed in the back of our mind, but we focused on supply chain and getting a restoration company, working with our adjuster immediately. Hey listeners, real quick. This is Alex Cummings, CEO of Flowpath, an industry-leading CMMS designed and built by operators to fit the scale of any organization. I'm excited to share with you that Flowpath now offers a tier for teams that just need core CMMS functionality on simple monthly contracts and at a price that makes sense. 
We call it FlowPath Core, and it runs on the same powerful FlowPath software that thousands of professionals rely on every day. So come check us out at GetFlowPath.com and see just how easy it is to get started with a software designed to fit your needs. Oh, and mention this ad and you'll get 10% off your core subscription. Okay, enough from me, back to the show. Did you, you already had the bleacher or the gymnasium vendor already set up. You already had that relationship there. Uh, were these relationships that you leaned on, were they long formed uh, or were they items where it's like, I'm doing a quick Google search or calling my neighbors to see who I should be reaching out to? Some were existing relationships and some were, um, you know, I need, I didn't have, we never really had any significant uh, claims at that time. So some was, I, I lean on our adjuster a little bit, you know, we need to get the right restoration company. You know, we're a smaller city of 80,000 people. Our capital city is five hours away of Edmonton, in Edmonton. So I knew a project of this nature, we may need to rely on that uh, in an Edmonton vendor, of course, we did go local and we use a lot of locals, but the lead part had to sort of come from Edmonton and I need to get, I needed to create that relationship right away. So we mm-hmm. did get some good, uh, reference companies from our insurance claim adjuster cause they do that every day. But of course it was on us to make the selection process to select the right uh, the right restoration company and to create that relationship right away and we were very fortunate to make the to select the right vendor because it was a very um, considering the nature and the disaster and how horrible it was it was a very at the end it was a very positive experience and we did meet all of our timelines and really really bring that school back to where it needed to be on time yeah, because, I mean, we're talking April, so we're towards the end of the school year. Granted, with COVID, it's a, a unique uh, school year, to say the least. But uh, so, so walking through this progression, you go in, you see the damage, uh, you assess what needs to be done as far as taking consideration the procurement process, the high-value uh, items there. And now it's, you know, taking action. Now you have your vendors in place. You are resolving the problem. There's another piece of this that, is the day-to-day operations still. And I'm curious, in this significant of a crisis, how did you juggle what you're doing day in and day out versus managing you know, the important item at, at hand being this crisis? Uh, if you want to take away another positive, another silver lining, of course, could be the fact that schools were empty at this time. I'm, I'm confident in saying schools were empty at this time, which takes a little bit off our shoulders because we don't have, you know, schools calling with emergencies and leaks and heating problems and cold classrooms and so on. So that that was a piece that was positive. But, you know, I lean on the necessary expertise and skills around me. You know, when we bring in that skill, I treat everything with my project management background. I, I, I give everything the project management approach. You know, we all have mm-hmm. a role. We all know our stakeholders. We all know our clients. We all know who's in our owner's representation role. We all know who's leading. We all, we all get a significant role. We talk about everyone probably needs to take on a little more. Um, we need to know we're comfortable with taking on a little more and we need to know we're able to take on a little more and we have the skills to take on a little more or we're getting the training to take on a little more. 
and then we move from there. But getting the vendors in and building that relationship for sure, knowing we could lean in that direction was was key, and knowing that everyone was on the same page to to move forward in the, from the same uh, position here with the same end result and the same end goal is, is key as well. And that's a good segue here as far as relying on the team. Everyone has you know, their roles and responsibilities, and that does roll up to you uh, as far as managing that staff. And so uh, what's the difference in day-to-day operations and managing staff there versus crisis? Because this could be a very stressful, was I'm sure a very stressful time, and that stress is shared by everybody and felt by everyone. How do you manage staff in that type of crisis, and how is it different than day-to-day management? Yeah, much different, of course. You know, day-to-day, we're into a routine. Well, as you would know, in a facility maintenance department, there's never the same day. You're dealing Mm -hmm. with something different every day, and we sort of enjoy that in a way. You know, what people mightn't think you would, but when you're, you're doing something a little different every day, um, you know, it, it is enjoyable. Well, with regards to how do you deal with that every day, you know, you, you focus on roles, responsibilities. I know that the team that I have, I know their, I know where their strengths are. I know we still have a day-to-day job to do. So what I need to do is, is when I look at it from an, from an organizational or departmental chart standpoint, I need to know what roles, what everyone's roles are, and I need to know I now have... You know, in essence, larger responsibility, larger job to do, increased role in the department. We're now going to spearhead, you know, an $8 million approximately project that just got through at us yesterday. I never took Mm -hmm. years to plan for it like I did for a new build or, you know, 18 months to do pre-design work for for our next modernization. So back to, like, some things we touch on. I'm bringing in the necessary skills. I know it needs to be done. I'm not going to lean on a team that's also, you know, quite busy, quite capable, doing a good job in their day-to-day and put that on their shoulders. You know, I need to bring in the necessary skills. I need to bring in the necessary amount of human resources to get moving in this direction because my job that's this now became this with zero zero planning to make mm-hmm. all this happen so bringing in the resources and moving from there i think was was key and knowing the necessary resources i need to bring in was key for sure and i guess on that as far as takeaways from this so you mentioned the response that the actual uh city has how they've responded and the actions they've taken since uh from this experience i'm sure there's a lot of takeaways that you had how has that changed the way you operate now that you don't have to manage that type of project just thrown on you like that? It's like, what, what are you implementing? Or what have you implemented that you learned from that experience? That is a great question. That's an, an awesome question because when something that's sort of a, a model that I use with my team, you know, we make mistakes every day on the job. Uh, well, maybe not every day, but, but we, we make mistakes frequently on the job. And my key piece is when we're done, okay, let's solve it, let's fix it. Here's the thing, what is our takeaway? And when I say Mm -hmm. what is our takeaway is what caused it, we fixed it, now what do we do to make sure that mistake never happens again? When it comes to something as significant as, you know, a a restoration, an $8 million, $6 million project, 
you know, we need to work with our community stakeholders. What are they doing? But one thing that we we certainly did, and I briefly touched on it, is we purchased, you know, it was a significant purchase for us. We purchased the necessary infrastructure to protect ourselves from another flood. So right now we have that infrastructure in place, uh, you know, where we, it's, it's, they're called Tiger Dams, but pretty much in essence they're large tubes that you blow up from water and you mount, you blow up with water and you mount to the ground, which makes a height. Water comes up against that dam and it keeps water away from your infrastructure. So right now, if we jumped to April, I think they do monitor the river where they'll know, hey, we're at a higher risk this year of flood, we're at a lower risk. I can take that infrastructure put it in place around that school, for example, to be ready if that 100-year flood would come at us again. So that was a significant piece. Now, having said that, we also need to know how to use this infrastructure. We also need to know how to assemble this infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We also need to know how to comfortably work with this infrastructure if we need to improve on it. So what we've done since then, it's almost like a school having a fire drill. You know, every year they have X amount of fire drills. Every year, uh, our maintenance team sets up this infrastructure and takes it down at a different location. So my team would be ready, jump in April, flood happens, no one's going to be scratching their head. I don't know how this works, how do we do this, how do we set up? I have, you know, six leaders on the team that would know exactly how to, how to set up this infrastructure to keep water away from our schools and significant damage again like we had in 2020. And, and that's how having six people and an entire team knowing how to do this, I mean, that's how you make sure this is long-lasting, where uh, the current team, if one person knows it and they are, they're gone, then that's the end of that, and you have to start from scratch. And so making sure you're documenting uh, that type of tribal knowledge, I think, is another solid takeaway of what you guys have done to, to make sure this is long-lasting and it's not going to happen again. And you know, hopefully it's, it is true. It's once in a hundred years, uh, type of a, a, a crisis and, uh, you're not going to have to deal with it in, in any of our lifetimes, but at least, uh, if it does pop up, you guys are prepared. Exactly. Well, Lonnie, I got one last uh, question for you here and I ask everybody and that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Hmm. I would have to say, um, my parents, you know, how I was raised and, and how I was supported from a, a child, you know, going to school every day to getting a high school education to actually my parents weren't, um, weren't wealthy individuals by no means. You know, my dad, and they paid for my education. They paid for my post-secondary education, so I would certainly have to be my parents' great role models. My father... Although I am not a school teacher, but I'm working for a school board. My father retired as a vice principal in his school division and had a fantastic career and was, was well respected. So hands down, I would, I would give all that credit to my mother and father who supported me from, from day one, no matter what I wanted to do. So great question. That is, that is great. i got to have that support system. But I, I love asking uh, everyone I talk to, how did you get to where you're at? And it, it's funny how... Uh, most responses I get, it's just, it's family, whether it's, uh, you know, a mentor early on or some experience that just left a, 
profound impact had a profound impact on him. It's always something, uh, which is interesting that uh, everyone has their own unique story and it uh, has a, a similar foundation. But uh, once again, Lonnie, certainly appreciate you coming on the, the show here. This has been a great, uh, great episode talking about your experience and going through that crisis and. Hopefully not many folks have to uh, have a game plan uh, <laughs> or have to deal with a, a flood like you and have this game plan. But if they do, they at least have this to reference. But uh, again, Lonnie, once again, thanks for uh, coming on the show. And, and until next time, be good. Awesome. Thank you very much, Griffin. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care, Lonnie. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.